0: Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by BlackRock Health. Providing patients with world-class clinical care and comfort. Enabling swifter recoveries. Well, first this morning, more than 10 years ago, award-winning journalist Kathy Donaghy returned to her native Donegal to live on the Inish-Own Peninsula with her husband and her two young boys. She wanted the boys to have the childhood she had had. But in the years that followed, Kathy's life changed in ways she never saw coming. And in her unflinching, just-published memoir, Finding My Wild, she describes the course their four lives have taken since. And Kathy joins me now in our studio. Morning to you, Kathy. Look Lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you too, Miriam. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for leaving the beauty of Donegal temporarily to come back down here. Listen, before we mm. talk about your return mm. there, tell me a little about your childhood because you describe so beautifully in the book your home up there.
1: Yeah, um, well, I live in Inishowen. I grew up in Inishowen, and for those who might not know it, it's the extreme north of Donegal. So it's... Um, it's nestled in between Loch Foyle and Loch Swilly, and uh, with the Atlantic Ocean sort of swirling all around us. So I suppose no matter where you go in Shon, you'll hit water um, very quickly. So the sea is as a massive influence, I suppose, in in all our lives there. And in my life, it was um, it was life itself because my father's family were fishermen. They fished salmon on Loch Foyle. They they held the first licenses on on Loch Foyle. So um, for us, the sea was livelihood. And um, you know there is beauty all around us. And for me, um, growing up. Um, the shore right in front of my great aunt and, and uncle's house was my little special place. It, it's not like the big headlands of, of Donegal that you might see the big yeah. swathes of beautiful blue ocean. It's, it's a sort of a, a rough little shore, sandy, um, but it's full of wildlife. It's got terns and oyster catchers and the heron flies down the river past my house every day and, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, on his way to, to fish. And it's a very beautiful, wild place. And it influenced me uh, growing up there I suppose I loved nature. I loved being out in it. Um, and if, it, if my head wasn't stuck in a book as a kid, I was out, outside. Um, I was in the woods or I was at, at the sea. And um, it was, I suppose it's very hard to, when you move elsewhere, a place like that infuses your soul so much that no matter where you go, um you know you're drawn, you're drawn back. I think Donegal people as well um, have a a compass setting that is set to true north and it, it draws <laughs> them home. A lot of us make our way back there, and um, I was happy enough that my husband Richard was 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 happy to move to Donegal too when we did return. So growing up was a huge
0: influence on my life. You know? Did you always think though, Cathy, you'd probably have to leave for work? I mean, there are, were very few employers. I know Fruit of the Loom, but. Was it always in the back of your mind you might have to leave?
1: Yeah, there wasn't really. I don't think there was any option, Miriam. You know, I I grew up, um, I went to school in the late 80s and there were very little employment prospects in Donegal. Fruit of the Loom came crashing down Mm -hmm. um, a few years after I'd left. But yeah, I had a dream of of being a journalist and writing for a living. So... um, I didn't know how that dream was going to be. It was like there was two tracks, you know, how how, how could you you fulfil this side of yourself that longed to write and be a journalist and do all these things while living in Donegal? So they really were, I, I sort of set my course to, I'm going to have to leave. Um, No, I did, uh, you know, always come back weekends and uh, when I went to college and stuff. But yeah, I knew I'd have to leave if I did want to pursue a career um, because... While Donegal is great, and it fills you with dreams of the late eighties and early nineties. It probably thoughts of being a writer they they
0: didn't they didn't really match up, you know. So I yes, I always knew I was going to have to go. So you went to college, I think, and mm-hmm. did English and French in Maynooth. Mm-hmm. How was that? Yeah, it was great. I loved it. I absolutely thrived there, and
1: um, you know, a space where you can be in lectures and you know, you're reading books. And Frank McGuinness was one of my lecturers and uh
0: Lucky you. Yeah,
1: it was amazing. And and he he, he drew me to, you know, for the first time to Brian Freel's work and, and Brian Freel obviously um Adair, you know, he he lived very close and, and he shown to where we lived. And so all of these worlds open up a possibility that books open up, I suppose, as well. But by the time I got to third year, I call it like looking back, I got stuck, you know. I um I didn't know what it was at the time and I didn't see it coming. Um, but what it was, was depression. And um, I think it's a big, it's its a sort of a word that I, I actually didn't even know. I, I didn't have the, the knowledge of what this mm. word meant. But um, I got stuck. It was almost like I was so afraid of taking the next step in my life. And the dreams I had of being a journalist seemed so it it seemed like stepping off a cliff and, and I was so afraid. So it was almost like I was retreating back into myself. So I became very lethargic. I was tired all the time. Um but, you know, with good professional help, I um over the course of that last year in college, I um I, I got counselling and and gradually I came back to myself. Um and it was you know, it, it was something that taught me never to take my mental health for granted again. Mm. I also realised part of that feeling was a homesickness. I think very much at the heart of it because I didn't know how I was going to live my life if it wasn't going to be in Donegal because I, I did love it. Um, and and the wonderful counsellor I had um, reminded me that, you know, Donegal is not just a place on a map. You know, that you carry it in your heart, in your soul and when people hear you speak it's in the inflections of your voice. So for me that that was like permission to you know it's in me it always will be in me. So live your life and go and you know realize your dreams whatever they are. So I I thrived after that I guess.
0: And you sure did you pursued a really successful career in journalism which you're still doing. Mm-hmm. And then you met your husband another journalist.
1: Yeah, um where did you meet him? This is funny um, because I, I, I've kept all my diaries from over the years going back to when I started in journalism. And um, in that diary entry in 1997, there's a note where I say, meet Richard Curran for a cup of coffee, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is so strange because, you know, that was almost quarter of a century ago and we're married for 23 years this year. But yeah, we met for a cup of coffee and Richard was the... Um, He was the business editor of the Sunday Tribune and I had um, been working as a reporter in the evening news and the evening news um, lasted for a very short time but there was a really good bunch of reporters there and I was looking for work and I met Richard for a cup of coffee. (laughs) Very quickly, I suppose, I realised that you know this wasn't going to work, but us working together because we became a couple really quickly. Um, we're very different in personality, Richard and I, but um, our value systems are very the same. And I loved his voice. Yeah, he's a <laughs> bad yeah, voice. Yeah, I, I was really I loved when he when he sp- spoke. I just wanted to listen to him talking. And I suppose we started a conversation, and we haven't stopped talking. Haven't stopped talking
0: since. <laughs> and you initially moved to fibsbury. you lived with your and two young boys mm-hmm. well yeah. we 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 were married um
1: for a good number of years before um Dallin arrived but um yeah we we lived in fibsbury. we bought our home there in 2000 at a time when it was still possible to actually um buy a house in Dublin you know and um we we settled there and then in 2008 Um, our eldest son Dallin came along he's now 14 and uh, three years later he was followed by his little brother um, Oriel so we stayed um, we were there but I guess I guess the writing was on the wall that for us you know as soon as our first child arrived I think we knew that our days in Dublin were going to be numbered each of us both of us um, wanted a different kind of life I think one that was more more you know, in tune with nature um, that was, you know, maybe not the rat race, mm. a different way of being in the world. Um, so when Dallin came along, we, we had had many conversations. What would that like? What could that life look like? Did we, you know, if we went and lived in Donegal, but we couldn't see how it would work. We, 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 we dismissed it as a pipe dream. That's impossible. We've got good jobs, a good home. What more could you want? Get over yourself, This is great. But there was this nagging pull that always for us as country people, we we thought, how could we make this work? Could we make it work? You know, so we 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 talked and we talked and we put it away and then we'd bring it out and talk about it some, some more. And um at that stage I, I was working in an RTE and Richard was working, he was the deputy editor of the Sunday Business Post. And you know, we felt this is this is this is foolish beyond extreme. But sort of gradually as we explored it a bit more, um, it was kind of like little doors started to open, like serendipity. You know, things would fall into place that would make this move a, a little bit more possible, and we knew that technology was changing, so that would give us mm. a way to make a living. Um, so I guess in you know in January 2012 we 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 left and um, we we decided that's it time to go
0: up oh, back up to Donegal back to Donegal. I gather loads of people said to you you're stock raving mad the pair of you.
1: Not, you know, a few people, there were raised eyebrows that, what, what, you know, what are you doing this for? Um, I think it was more we heard about it second hand. You know, I think I remember being referred to myself as the woman who uh, played Harry carry with her career and, and, and blew it up. And, you know, but, you know, if I'd never had um, a childhood like I had, or I'd never had those experiences. Maybe I wouldn't have longed to go back and have that for my own children.
0: But it's worked so well. I suppose Mm -hmm. with COVID as well, people realise they can work more remotely so you can live in Donegal Mm -hmm. and still have your big careers. Yeah.
1: I think COVID has taught people there is a different way to be in the world. We also realise that maybe time is short. A lot of people lost loved ones or became Mm -hmm. ill. You know, I think if it's taught us anything, it's like life is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. So you have to follow your heart. Sometimes I know if we listen to our heads, you know, on paper, this sounded like madness. But, um, you know, our hearts did lead us here and um, we followed them and and we listened. And and I don't think we could have done otherwise, to be honest with you, Miriam. Yeah,
0: it's worked out so well. Now, look, after the move to Donegal, then you became pregnant. And I suppose you've, I think, had two pretty textbook pregnancies. Presumably you were expecting this pregnancy to run as smoothly.
1: Yeah, that that causes me some embarrassment now almost when I think back to I thought this was yeah I've had two like very easy pregnancies textbook really Um, so I thought this was going to be like falling off a log you know and a third child get on with it that's the way I saw my life going Um, but life doesn't go that way and um, you know when you roll the, the pregnancy dice I've learned from sort of my own experiences that it can go anyway you know so i suppose early in the spring of our of our move i got i got pregnant and i was delighted and i thought that's you know great um my 30s were coming to an end at that point so it was like it was time to you know i thought you know we, we'll just get on with it but that pregnancy ended really really quickly and it was um over before it started really and it it left me shocked and bruised and hurting but you know, I thought, you know, that's, that, that happens and, you know, we'll try again. So we, we, we were pregnant fairly quickly again. Um, and this time it was, um, it felt like a real pregnancy. I was very nauseous. I was sick. I was thrown up. I was, you know, um, because I'd already had two children, you know, I, I was ca- kind of, you know, showing quite quickly. So um, everything was going great and we'd seen a heartbeat. And then at 12 weeks... I went to the hospital. Richard and I drove up the road to Letterkenny Hospital and we were in great form. I remember us listening to music in the car and going into the room where they do the scan, the lights are dimmed and I lie up on the table and chatting away to the midwife, not a bother on me. And um, she's kind of goes a bit quiet and, you know, I know what... I know what a healthy pregnancy looks like when you see it on a sonograph, you know, mm. or on the screen. And I had my head tilted sideways to look at it and... I'm kind of going, mm, this is very quiet because you know when when you have healthy pregnancies the that that those little hearts like freight trains, you hear them mm-hmm. boom 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 there's nothing there's just quietness in the room and I look over at Richard to him to for reassurance, and I see him kind of shifting from one foot to the other like he does when he's nervous, and I thought this is not a good sign and I look to the midwife's face, and it's unreadable, and you know there's no heartbeat and I I just could not compute how this is possible, you know. And I remember there was a student in the room who was mortified and didn't know where to look. So anyway, we we were told to go home and wait for nature to take its course. Um, Nature taking its course for me was very difficult because it ended up in, um, I ended up hemorrhaging um, and it was a sort of a very difficult situation then. It felt like, it felt like, life or death situation for me. So not only had I lost my baby, that I felt then, you know, my life is now at risk. You know, my my mm-hmm. two boys need me to be around. So um, that was, it was really difficult. It was, um, and I was quite traumatised from the blood loss. And so, you know, it didn't put me off getting pregnant again. That was, the, you know, the, the longing for a baby is, is so great. And I say this as well, Miriam, that I understand that when i talk about miscarriage and i'm saying these things um there are women out there who are trying for a baby and it is torture you know when you when you're trying and it's not working out you know it really is and i think as well as that i come was coming to this longed for a third child with two healthy boys you know and i they were my constant you know refuge during that time but i also know that for women who who didn't have her you know who mm-hmm. don't have that and, and wondering is it ever going to happen for me am i ever going to hold my own child in my arms that is i can only imagine that that is much worse you know so i'm i'm really conscious in telling this that there are so many heartbreaks mm-hmm. on this journey when
0: we want to become mothers you know so then you had found two miscarriages i think you then find out you were expecting twins.
1: Yeah, that was that was kind of amazing because I thought life is giving me back what I've lost, you know, and um I actually couldn't believe it. And um I, I was so <laughs> happy at at this twin pregnancy and we saw their hearts beating on screen. They were identical twins. Mm. And um we were so looking forward to this. And I remember being pregnant that summer and um you know just being so grateful and i remember at one point being in the car with the two boys and richard on holidays and I, for that mm-hmm. brief moment there were six of us in the car you know and it was it was a beautiful time you know and and i've come to the realization you know that some lives are meant to be lived just in, for that short space of time and 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 there is beauty in that you know mm-hmm. and they were with us in, on those on those days um, But one of the most profound experiences of my life was um, the night I lost them. Um, I had been at a meeting. Um, I was involved in something in our local community and I'd gone um, to someone's house and we were sitting down. after the meeting, someone brought out tea and scones and I'd been quite sick. And um, I realised when I was just about to eat this scone, I'm not feeling sick. I'm not feeling anything. So um, I went home, went to bed early, didn't feel so great about things in my head and I woke up in the middle of the night. And it's very hard to explain what, what was happening because it looked like nothing was happening at all. Um, but I, there was just this slight just hum in, in, in my head. I, I could just about hear it. And I knew, I knew they were leaving me. I knew the essence of their being was going for me. And I just, I lay there, I wasn't sad, the sadness would come, and I just bore witness to something that nothing was happening, but something, to me, my, the birth of my boys was, was visceral and raw, and they came into the world kicking and screaming, but this experience was as vivid and visceral as that, even though it looked like nothing was happening at all. It was, um, it was the most profoundly beautiful moment, but I knew exactly what it was.
0: And how did you deal with that then? Because that's like, you'd already had the two miscarriages. Mm. Now there were the twins. And I know you wrote that brilliant article last weekend in the Independent, Irish Independent. And you said so many people wrote you about the experience of miscarriage because it's still not really spoken about, is it? And yet it's so traumatic and upsetting. Mm. It is. I think, you know,
1: we, we talk about a lot of things and we think we've got good at talking about stuff and I think we have got better at talking about miscarriage but naming the stuff that's really hard about it you know, is still, is still difficult mm-hmm. you know, because as women we're not really supposed to feel things like anger certainly not voice it or say we've, I was raging at the world I was so angry at this happening to me and everywhere around me On social media there were pregnancy announcements and somebody else would show up at the school gates with their new baby and I would want to run and hide, number one. And number two, I was so cross and angry. You know, and that's part of it as well. You can, of course, you can be happy with for other people, for their baby news, but part of you is so devastated that it's not you. And, and, you know, you feel like a failure. You feel like the one thing that you want your body to do. It is not doing it. It is not, you are. I felt like I was not only failing me, I felt like I was failing my husband and my kids as well because they would have been great big brothers and my husband's a great dad. And, you know, I think... You know, I felt like I was letting everybody down. And miscarriage does that to you. You know, it, it sort of ruptures your whole sense of self. It, there's, there's really no part of your life that it doesn't creep into with, um, with that experience, you know. So it impacts so much of yourself. So I, I have, you know, it has taught me a lot. It's been a great teacher. It has taught me a lot about myself. I think, you know, it's taught me a lot about empathy. I think I've become a better friend. I never take anything for granted. And I think, you know, whatever is going on in another woman's body is her business. So I, I'm I'm never nosy about pregnancy or baby news. I just say, you know, that's your business and you'll tell me when you're ready, you know. So it has been a great teacher in my life. A hard teacher, you know. Um, but you know, that 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 has been My part of my life story, not the whole story and I think, you know, miscarriage we can discount it as, oh sure she was only, what, how many weeks pregnant you know, we can't do that because for some women you know, it's never nothing it's always something and sometimes it's everything, Um, a bereavement midwife said that to me and I never forgot it and for some people it is everything, you Mm. know, especially if they're trying for a baby and that baby never comes that's
0: huge, you know how do you how did you deal with it I mean how did you get mm. over it and then also I often think that men in the situation they often get ignored and mm. they grieve too they do they do I don't
1: know that I would say I will never get over the, the miscarriages and the loss but I, I I've adapted them into my life you know they're part of my life they're not the biggest part they're they're part of it that I accept they're a painful part and in, in many ways, I'm grateful for the teaching and the learning that I've, that I've had from it. And, and in terms of healing from it, I did a lot of things very badly. I did, I would say now, if I was to do it all over again with, with the hindsight and wisdom, hopefully some wisdom that I have, I would do things differently. I wouldn't run as hard as I did. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible one for being busy and, you know, getting on the you know, the treadmill and just running myself into the ground. I think I would stop. I would just be a bit quieter. I would be a bit slower. I'd be patient with myself, um, but my instinct was to to do and to keep going and throw myself into project after project and you know start training for triathlons and that's those are all good things, but not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I think sometimes you know you have to just stop running, you have to just come home to your own self and your own you know for me, I think I ran so hard I wasn't allowing Richard's pain to come into this situation and I feel guilty about that now. Miscarriage brings so much guilt. But, I mean, obviously, we we talked about it at the time, but maybe on a superficial level. Now we talk about it, we, you know, we we're a few years down the line, so we have a greater understand, understanding of what happened. But I can, I can say that I was running from Richard's pain because if I had listened to how he was feeling, that would have made me feel worse. That would have made me feel more guilty. So, in a way, I shut it out. I didn't want to let his pain in. And I feel I feel bad about that now, you know. Um, but luckily, you know, we had time. We came back to one another. We found one another again in our grief. And, you know. Um,
0: and Donegal, I know, helped you heal. <coughs> but I'm conscious there's, you know, one person listening this morning mm. who's maybe going through it and upset, yeah. what advice would you give them?
1: I would say, you know, just hold your own hand. Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, don't this was not your fault you did nothing wrong this was just nature it's just you know nothing nothing you did caused this nothing you could have ever done would have caused this you know you wanted this pregnancy you wanted this baby do not be hard on yourself you know so come back and you know sit with yourself a while and and you have to it sounds a bit new agey you have to sort of love yourself. You've got to care about yourself. I was very good at caring about other people and being kind, but I wasn't kind to myself. You know, I pushed myself away. I was quite, you know, my body had let me down. That's how I saw it. So I was really annoyed at myself. So my own company wasn't great. You know, being in my own company wasn't great. And you know, um, after, you know, a few years down the line, I can honestly say I love my own company. <clears throat> I the, the greatest gift That I can have in a week is where I can go off by myself to some beach in Pollen Beach or Mm -hmm. Koldaf or um, Strand with my dog in the car and just myself. And I can walk Mm -hmm. and I love my own company. I love just watching the birds or just, you know, hanging out
0: by myself. I actually am a good friend to myself now. You're also a great swimmer because I've spoken to you before about Mm -hmm. sea swimming and that's a whole way of healing too, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. many people love Sea swimming now. Yeah.
1: yeah. The sea swimming, I suppose, is really, it was a big part of this journey of healing. Um It's still a big part of my life. Um I remember one day sitting at home at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and um looking at the clock. And I could hear cars passing on the road and thinking other people are getting on with their lives and I'm just stagnating here in grief. And... Um, <clears throat> I picked up the car keys and I got in the car and I just knew like I was going to Kuldaft Beach. And for whatever reason, I was getting in the sea. So it's a a beautiful drive and the ocean comes into view quite quickly. And I was excited to get there and the waves were really big that day. And I actually jumped from the car and ran onto the beach. This sounds a bit mad, um, but I just peeled off the clothes, like literally dropped them where I stood. And I, I walked into the waves in my underwear. And I just said, you know what, I I I just needed to get in the ocean. I don't know what it was. It was like a calling. And that day I was pummeled by the waves and and um I came up for air and I I you know they were breaking over my head. And but I, when I came out, I felt <clears throat> the most serene and alive and exhilarated that I than I had been in years. And I made a promise. I, I I stood in front of the ocean and I said, I promised that day I will always come back. I will always come back. And if you'll have me. And um I've honoured that promise um, as many times in the week as I can. And I and I and I get in. And I tell it, there was a story I used to tell the boys when they were small. Um, you know, because I've I've always been swimming a bit. Um, and I used to tell them, you know, um, Mammy's actually a Selkie, you know, she's you know, she she loves to shed her skin and go in the ocean. They were small mm-hmm. and they used to love the story. Well, that maybe that means we're a part Selkie too. They laugh at me now, you know, this story. But I actually think weirdly, you know, it was a metamorphosis of sorts. I wasn't growing a tail of fin and swimming, but I was shedding the skins of that grief. I was letting stuff go. Shedding skins is, is is how I see it. And I was becoming more myself. And in the ocean I could allow my tears to fall and, you know, just blend in with the sea. And some days I've gone there and I've cried and other days I've gone there and I've laughed and other days I've been in there and there's a big seal pops his head up when I'm swimming. Mm-hmm. And I talk to him and he pops his head up and looks at me and yeah, it's a bit mad, but it's, it's you know, I, I feel more myself now than I've ever done in my life.
0: And for people also thinking, well, that's a great idea. Go and live back maybe where they're from in Donegal. There are tricky things though as well, I suppose, like Wi-Fi can be an issue. What are the downsides, if there are any? Yeah, well, when, when we moved,
1: I suppose, um, you know, we, were, we had one meg, three megs of broadband in the house. So the, the, Richard and I couldn't be online at the same time. That was tricky, and if we had been even half a mile off a main road, then our our move probably wouldn't have been possible at all. Um, you know, moving back to a place that you come from has its own is it has its own difficulties because when you leave a place um, and you come back, you are quite different. You've changed, but you're known. You'll always be your father and mother's daughter, you know, and that's how that's how you'll be seen. Um, so I, I suppose. I I I kind of describe it in the book as like planting uprooting a plant or a shrub and expecting it to thrive and grow like within days of your arrival that's not going to happen it's going to take time it's going to take time you got to nurture the plant you got to you know give it sunlight and water and and we're like that too we need we need care we need time we need love we need all those things so it doesn't it's a process and and it's just it does take time so if, You know, anybody thinking about changing your life, don't think that you're just going to blend in. It's just going to be amazing overnight. It does take time. There's also, you know, you're leaving a life. I left a a life that, yes, I loved. I had friends. I had woman friends that I that I loved, Um, you know, and, and that's that's that can be tricky. It can be its own, you know,
0: just learning how to be again. And that takes time. Finally, what is the hope for your book? I know you were saying after the Indo article, <coughs> loads of people contacted you about their own experiences. What is the hope yeah. you have for your book, Kathy?
1: Well, I was really heartened. You know, um, the Irish Independent um, magazine last Saturday published mm. um, an extract from the book and I was inundated with messages from women who had their own experiences and beautiful messages. And um, it, it, it made me realise that, you know, what I wanted to achieve from writing this book was saying, you know, this is just, this is, all this stuff is normal. You know, we can think that my life, it's so individual, but these, these kind of human experiences that I'm talking about are really universal experiences that we all, you know, in different ways, we're all going to be hurt and we're all going to be buffeted by life storms. None of us are immune to that. And I, in putting the story out there, I, I wanted to, that to resonate deeply with people. But I also want the book, I've you know, it's called Finding My Wild. You know, your wild mightn't be the hills of Donegal, right? But I would love for people to see, what is your wild? What makes me feel like the wild girl that I once was? What is it? Is it the beach? Is it the woods? You know, make time to find that wildness in you that makes you feel more like yourself so that the home that you offer yourself is comfortable and loving and warm and that you will never run from it again.
0: Well, Kathy Dunning, it's been so lovely chatting to you. Your book, Finding My Wild, is published by O'Brien Press. I have it in my hand. It's a wonderful read and it's available from tomorrow. Safe journey back to beautiful Donegal. Thank you so much, Mary. Congrats on a great memoir. We'll take okay. a break.